Father in heaven, we thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for just enabling us, Lord, to be found in your house this evening in the middle of a work week. Father, you brought us all together once again. We just want to thank you. Father, every opportunity that you give to us to be able to come and meditate and spend some time in your presence, I pray, Father, will be an opportunity, Father, which will reap harvests in the days to come, O oh Lord. We want to continue to sow in the spirit, O oh Lord. We want to continue to obey your word. We want to continue to listen to your voice. We want to continue, Father, for you to open our ears and our eyes to understand, O oh Lord, Father, the, your word, your ways, the way you are, the way you function, the way you, Father, um, um, lead us, O oh Lord, Father, that, you, that, Lord, we would understand your ways, teach us your ways, show us your paths, O oh Lord. We want to know you, O oh Lord. And therefore we come this evening, O oh Lord, we humble ourselves that you would speak to our hearts, anoint us, open our ears, open our understanding, that we'll be able to, Father, not only be hearers, O oh Lord, but, Lord, we will apply the word to the deepmost parts of our heart. And Lord, we will change from the inside out, O oh Lord. Not just merely outward, but deep down inside, O oh Lord. Cause us a change, cause there to be a change, O oh Lord, Father, inside, O oh Lord. Thank you, Father. Anoint each one of us this evening to hear and to speak. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, we will continue to study um, uh, a few uh, more lessons from the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils, whatever, however you want to look at it. I want to look at one passage. Um, it's found in all the three Gospels, according to uh, Luke, is what we want to look at, and one specific dimension which Luke specifies, and I want to look at that carefully this evening. It's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, and I'm going to read from verses 11 onwards. Now, this parable is this. Now, the parable is the explanation of the parable of the sower. Uh, Jesus is explaining the parable to his disciples. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe. Now if you look at all the three accounts, this word believe does not occur, except in Luke. Okay? So, lest they should believe, alright, and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while. You see that? The word again, believe. That dimensionality is being included here in Luke's gospel. There is believing. I mean, those people who do not believe at all. You know, um, you find that in the book of Acts, especially when the disciples go about different, different places. It says, uh, especially in Acts chapter 17, after Paul gives his discourse on Mars Hill, some people, they say, after he speaks about the resurrection of the dead, some people believe. Some people say, we want to hear about it another time. Some people mock. Alright? And even in Acts chapter 14, some people believe. Some people do not believe. Alright? So there is always this crowd. Some people who believe. Here, in this specific case, some people who do not believe. Some people who believe only for a short period of time. And finally, people who Continue to believe. That word of course does not come by implication. Verse 14. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who when they have heard go out, go out and are choked with the cares, riches and the pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the ground are those, good ground, are those who having heard the word, 
with a noble and a good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So this is what, what it means to believe. Now, believing is a continuous process. John 3.16, everybody knows, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever goes on believing in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So the continuous process, you know, to believe till the end. If you slacken off, it says in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38, Now the just shall live by faith. If any man draws back, my soul shall not have pleasure in him. And But he says, brethren, we are not those who draw back even unto perdition. So, it's very care, which we need to understand that there are possibilities that believers will fall away. And the Bible is full of examples. So we have to continuously believe. Alright? So what is the opposite of believing? Unbelief. Simple. And unbelief is just not a thought. It is a force. It's a spiritual force. It says in one of the Gospels, I don't have to, I don't know exactly where, I think it's in Mark or Matthew, it says, Jesus, I think it's Matthew, it says, Jesus could not do any things or any miracles over there because of their unbelief. And it says in another place, Jesus turned away from the town because of their unbelief. It's a force which pushes away Jesus. Right? So, we need to understand what does it mean to believe? And how do we counter unbelief? Right? It's very important. It's un- unbelief is possibly the root cause of all sin is two. Uh, pride and unbelief, they go together. Stubbornness and unbelief, they go together. They were so closely intertwined. Okay? Unbelief. Yeah. So let us see a passage in the Bible which shows us what unbelief is and how we can, con- uh, how we can counter it and unbelief in different kinds of people. Not, not everybody has the same kind of unbelief. Okay, there is an unbelief which is there inside the world, outside in the, uh, in the world. They don't believe at all. That is one kind of unbelief. There is an unbelief which is there inside the church too. Among disciples. That is a very subtle form of unbelief and we need to understand what that unbelief is. Alright. So, let us look at a very famous passage. Again, it's found in all the three synoptic gospels. Pastor James is not in town, so what I'm doing is making preaching easier for myself. I'm look, looking at some chronological account of, <laughs> of the parables, but I'm looking at one passage from all the three gospels to get a framework of, um, um, of unbelief, what it means to not believe and how we can diagnose unbelief in our own life. Okay. So let's look at the passage. Everybody knows this. This is after the mountain of transfiguration where Jesus, uh, is transfigured, his closest of his disciples, they see him and after they come down, there's an episode, Matthew chapter 17. And when they, when they had come to the multitude, okay, this has come after they come, came down from the mountain, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. By the way, the word cure, the Greek word is Therapeo, from which we get the word therapy. Okay, so therapy is there in the Bible. It started off with Jesus, alright? So physiotherapy is only physiological therapy. Psychotherapy is psychological therapy. Pneumatic therapy is what we call as 
spiritual therapy. And Jesus is the one who gives spiritual therapy so that we can be free psychologically and also um, somatically. Okay. Mm, all right. So let us look at uh, some therapy that Jesus prescribes over here. But they could not cure him. Matthew chapter 17. Then Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation. To whom did he say this? We need to understand. Faithless and perverse. Faithless, unbelieving. The other translation is episteo, which means unbelieving. Faithless and perverse, crooked generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Keep that in mind. Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon demon, and it came out, to, came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said, because of your unbelief, to whom? To the disciples. So you see, there is already unbelief in the disciples there, okay? Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible. However, this kind does not go except by prayer and fasting. So we look at, this is the according, uh, this is the account according to Matthew. Let us look at a parallel account in gospel according to Mark. One of the things that you will see in the gospel according to Mark, gospel according to Mark is a very fast gospel. It's like a newspaper. All bullet points. Bang, 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 bang. You'll see one word called immediately occurring several times in the gospel according to Mark. Immediately he went to the synagogue. Immediately he preached. Immediately there was a demon possessed man. Immediately, immediately, immediately. Okay. So this word immediately keeps on occurring in the gospel according to Mark. Now this is the same passage in the gospel according to Mark. And let's read from verse 14 onwards. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and the scribes disputing with them. So you see somebody else is being added there. Okay, Scribes disputing to them. Immediately, you see that word? Immediately, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed. Why were they greatly amazed? What happened to him? Maybe he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw his countenance. Maybe it was changed. There's something different about Jesus now. We don't know. They were amazed. They were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him and he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Right. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought your, I brought, uh, I brought you my son. I brought you my son who was, who has a mute spirit and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He forms at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples so that, uh, that they should cast it out, but they could not. And he answered and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear you? Etc. And then he, delivers the, the the boy and then so he asked the father how has how 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 long has this been from childhood and uh, often he has thrown thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him but if you can do anything have compassion on us and help us jesus said if you can believe all things are possible to whom who believes immediately the father said to the uh, uh, father of the child cried out and said with tears lord i believe help my unbelief etc we know this Okay, passage very careful, very, very clearly. I want to look at the characters here. Seven characters. I mean, there are, there are not seven characters. I will find seven. Okay, because I like the number seven. Okay, seven is a number of perfection. Let us look at the seven characters and let us look at each of these characters carefully to analyze what it is to have unbelief. First is, everybody, the crowd. Okay. Second is, the scribes. Third, disciples down the mountain. Next, 
disciples up the mountain. So Dr. Richard is very smart. He knows the answer. Okay. Disciples up the mountain. Fifth, the father. Sixth, the oppressed son. Seven, Jesus. So you have seven characters. You have the crowd, you have the scribes, you have the disciples up the mountain, you have the disciples down the mountain, and you have the father, and you have the oppressed son, and you have Jesus. Thank God. Alright? Jesus, the epitome of faith, and epitome of everything which is opposite to unbelief. That is Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. So let us look at and look at each of these characters. Let us see if we are a people among the crowd and to see how unbelief works in the crowd and see if we are people in the crowd. We'll see how unbelief works in the scribes and we'll see whether we are the people in the scribes. We'll see how unbelief works in the disciples down the mountain, among the disciples as a whole, in the father, in the oppressed son. Six characters, let us look at them uh, with some detail. First, the crowd. The crowd is always fickle. There is a saying in Telugu, Gumpulo Govindam. Alright? Nalgurda Narayana. That means, wherever the crowd goes, you also go. So, I'll tell you something. The crowd can be here. The crowd mentality can be right there inside the church. What is crowd mentality? When you go to the, when you go to the university or to your office place or to your college or your, to your school, you go along with the flow. When you come to church, you also have the crowd mentality everywhere. Everybody is praising Jesus. You also go with the flow and praise Jesus. You have what we call as a crowd mentality. You can you can be right here listening to a Wednesday sermon and be among the crowd. Okay? Did you understand? Hmm? So, so who are this crowd? Those who can easily, easily be swayed and have no convictions of their own. That is the crowd. They don't have any convictions of their own. What are they? They are casual onlookers hiding from God. That is the reason why, you know what, in big, big churches, for example, so many people are there who we don't know who is really believing and who is unbelieving. No, that is the reason why Jesus was very careful with the crowds. Whenever he saw crowds, he ran away. He either went into the tops of the top of the mountain, so you should get rid of all these fellows who don't like gravity. Okay, look at what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and verses 2. Seeing, the word is seeing, the word is in Greek is E-I-D-O, Edo, is to know. So he sees knowing the crowds, he understands even in here in this place, he knows, Jesus knows who has the crowd mentality. No? Why? Who is, who is here by force? Who is here on their own free will? Who wants to really be close to Jesus? Who is a part of the crowd? Seeing, knowing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, went up on the mountain and when he sat down, who came? His disciples came and he opened his mouth and taught them. Who is them? The crowd or the disciples? The disciples. You see that? Wherever you see crowd. And they are so fickle. You see, crowd will one day say, Hosanna, Hosanna. Next day they will say, crucify. Okay. That not only to Jesus. To anybody. If you are a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. If your heart is on fire for God. You know, they will change and sway your opinions. Oh no, we had an interesting couple coming once, one day visiting us and say, you are so great. One next day they went and said something totally opposite. They swayed, fickle. Okay. 
Unbelievable. You know, look at the, look at, look at a very interesting episode in the life of two disciples, Saul and Barnabas. This is found in Acts chapter 14. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. I like that. Look at the order. He heard Paul speaking. Okay. Paul observing intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. It's remarkable, isn't it? First you hear, faith is aroused, then you are healed. That is the order. Okay? So always, that is the reason why we come for this teaching of the word of God, so that we can fire up faith inside of us. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ is the, actually the translation. The word is Christos, which means anointing. So faith cometh, cometh by hearing, and hearing the anointed word. No other word, just no, not ordinary word. Only those words which are anointed by Jesus Christ himself, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, have the power to Rise, raise faith in our, in our hearts. Okay. So this man, he observed Paul, anointed servant of God preaching. And then when Paul looked at this man, he saw that he had faith to be healed. So what did he say? Paul observing intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. So you, you see, Paul was seeing, obs- observing them intently. I think the word is, I don't know if it's Ido or Theorio. I'm not sure. I should have checked that. Um, he's looking at the crowd, no? There'll be one one person who is observing intently and who really has faith, who has a genuine hunger for God. Hmm? So what does he, he doesn't tell tell it to everybody. I mean, this is the spirit of Christ. You know, Christ goes to that place in Bethes, uh, Bethesda, pool at Bethesda. There are thousands and thousands of people who are impotent, but God goes to one man who's desperate. The question is, are we really desperate? Do we really, really come to God with a sense of desperation is a question, okay? So, he said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Fantastic. Let's move on. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas, they call him Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was a chief speaker. My goodness, I like that. Paul possibly was an anointed preacher and he was thundering the word of God. I'm not sure how he taught. We don't know whether he was a young preacher or a more experienced preacher. But this man was on fire and he was the chief orator. And you know, Greeks, they love oratory. Okay, they like people who can speak with confidence. Okay, be very careful when people call you the chief speaker. Oh my God, you are in for big trouble. If Barnabas, there is no problem here. But whenever people call you chief speaker, you are in for big trouble. Look at what happened. Then Barnabas, they called Zeus. Zeus. And Paul Hermes, because he was a chief speaker. You know, whenever people call me, you know, chief speaker, Pastor Vijay, Baba, why did you put chief speaker there? One of the speakers is better, no? So what happens? Acts chapter 14, verse 13 onwards. And the, then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostle apostle Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, what did they say? Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as yours. And preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God. I tell you, there is so much of paraphernalia in Christianity. Useless things. What we call as harvest festival, this festival, that festival, useless festivals. 
No, absolutely no relevance in, in Christendom. Hmm? Useless things, just like the pagans. I, I, and I'm, I know one, one, one pastor was talking about this. I think Pastor uh, Derek Prince in one of his sermons, he talks about this. You know, he says this man was there. He's a, he's a pastor in a big mega church. So they wanted to raise funds for church construction. So they did a mela. And all the congregation members got, got together and they said, we should invite one guy who can do fortune telling. This is Derek Prince. Oh, we, then it's just a counter. It's a, it's harmless. It is nothing. You know, people will get attracted and they will come and put money to the church and we can do church building. No, there will be hoopla, tambola, all things people will play in churches. Raise money for church construction. And you will know two, three down, uh, generations down, they're gone. Useless things. Absolutely useless things. Okay. So useless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all the things in, uh, that are in them. Who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, Baba. But now he's asking everybody to turn from these stupid things and to worship God. And with, when, with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. You know what? The, the multitudes were totally, totally enamored by these guys. Guys, and they said, we have to still sacrifice. We will still put garland and we will still put uh, all kinds of things and we will call you Reverend Dr. Vijay Thakota also. No problem. Man, you need to understand, no? You, uh, Pastor, why are you not calling yourself Reverend Doctor? Reverend? I said, please don't call me and embarrass me. <laughs> I know my mentor. <laughs> Pastor James, he will never allow anybody to call him Reverend. Then what happens? The, the, the people are fickle, you see? The people are absolutely fickle. One day they're just putting, they're putting him on a pedestal. Next what happens? Then the Jews... From Antioch and Iconium, they came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul. Who is the chief speaker? The chief speaker was stoned. That is how fickle people are. Those are the people in the crowd. One day they will put you on the pedestal, next day they will stone you to death. Especially they will catch hold of the chief speaker. So whenever people are calling you and you are the chief speaker, run. Say, Baba, I don't want to come to that meeting. Please make me one of the speaker. Guest speaker, chief speaker, guest speaker is okay. Chief speaker, no, 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 no. That is how fickle people are. Then the question is, are you fickle? Can you be swayed by the crowd? You know, it says in uh, Exodus chapter 23, if I'm right, it says, don't be swayed by the majority opinion. That is the reason why democracy is not a very perfect form of government. We are made for a theocracy, not a democracy. What is theocracy? Where theos is God. God is the king. Benevolent monarchy like Pastor calls it. So what happens in Ephesians chapter, this is what Paul will tell in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 14 to 15. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Oh my goodness, you should see the kind of plotting people are doing these days. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head. Don't be tossed to and fro. Have strong convictions like Daniel. Question is, do we have strong convictions? Um, John MacArthur was preaching from, uh, uh, I was listening to his, uh, he did an entire study on uh, Daniel. And he's talking about 
the title of the sermon is an uncompromised life. Of course, he's talking about Daniel. In that, you know, he's talking about Daniel, whose name is changed from Daniel to Belteshazzar. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they have given them Babylonian names. Right? And when he, Daniel's name is changed, he didn't protest. Don't call me Daniel, don't call me Belteshazzar, please. Please call me Daniel. Okay. He didn't protest. When they asked him to be learned in all the ways of the Chaldeans, to study their literature, to study their science, to study their technology, he didn't object. Did he object? No. He didn't say, no, 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 I believe in evolution, um, uh, creation, don't teach me evolution. He didn't say that. No, 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 I don't believe in Ram and Krishna, don't teach me Ramayan, I only want to have Bible in my studies. No, he didn't say that. One thing he said no to. What is that? Food. Two reasons. I know at least several reasons John MacArthur talks about. He says one reason. See, in the law, there is no law against what kind of literature you have to read. Okay? There is no law. So people in a flu, you can take a sigh of relief. Okay? Read literature with the Christian mindset. No law against, no law against people calling you names. Is there a law? They can call you anything. They can call you Fattu, Pattu, whatever. Let them call whatever names they want to in the book. That is not going to change anything. There is no law against that. I don't have to protest. But there are strict dietary laws. There is law against what kind of meats you should eat and what kind of meats you should not eat. Now, that is the reason why I like Pastor James. He says, Vijay, this is clear-cut demarcation. That is where I will stop. So, and John McArthur makes a fantastic observation here. And I just want to share that observation with you, okay? First thing, he asks this question. Do we have uncommon standards or uncommon convictions which are uncommon? So, we have a gumpu. There is a huge crowd. All of them are going with one floor. In fact, all there are at least about seventy-five to hundred Jewish boys, seventeen-year-olds who have been brought uh, as uh, we have been deported from uh, Jerusalem to Babylon. Everybody is saying, "Baba, Daniel, what are you? Let us go and eat." Everybody is eating. What is the problem here? Let us also eat. Everybody is making one kind of a decision, but there is one guy who has got uncommon standards, and he will stick to those standards no matter what. And why does he not? Be seduced by food. Why does he not allow himself to be seduced by food? Look at what it says. Look look at what John MacArthur's observation. This is fantastic. I've never heard anybody before. Quote. This is what he says. Seduce them by the appetites. And make them feel obligated because of the provision. And lift their standard of living. Up to where you want it to be. So they can never go back to the other kind of approach, all part of brainwashing. <laughs> Think about it, no? This is a typical software engineer's job. Software, sorry. Software engineers are paid left, right and center. And if you work in a company like Google, they will also give you free food. Rich food. Heavy pay packets, standard of living increased, people don't know what to do with their money. So what do they do? They buy one home, two homes, one car, 
two cars. Our parents never even thought about those things. Suddenly the standards of living have increased. Now what happens is that, now you are used to this kind of a lifestyle. Right? So you are so used to this kind of a lifestyle, we are hooked to that like kind of a lifestyle now. Now it is very difficult for us to change. Very, very difficult for us to change. We are so caught up in buying this property, that property. And what happens is that we are so scared now to lose our jobs. It doesn't matter how skilled you are. Your job is not guaranteed, Baba. Your jobs are not guaranteed. You are hooked to that kind of a lifestyle now. You see? So let me tell you all people who work in the IT industry. Practice one thing. If you come to the men's prayer, you will get this constantly over and over again. You know what pastor says? Put away money. Put away money. Tim Keller made a fantastic statement. He said, if you think that you can afford something, don't buy it. If you think that you can buy it, don't buy it. Put it away. You know what? One of the things that I've realized after I came to ministry, you don't need too much to survive. No simple lifestyle, no anxiety. You know, the person who is actually least anxious in our church is Pastor James. Because I know him, no? I know him from close quarters. Kind of lifestyle. Simple. Vijay, keep life simple. Because you never know when God calls you. I'll tell you honestly. Guys who are in software industry, sorry, software industry. Okay. You are earning left, right and center, six-figure salaries and pay packs, etc., be very careful the way you handle your money, Baba. Because you'd never know when God will call you. And when God calls you, He'll strip you off of all the unnecessaries in your life and you will struggle for several days. What's going on? Mm-hmm. All part of brainwashing. What happens is that when you are used to those kinds of lifestyles, do you think you will have strong convictions towards God? You know what you will say? It's okay. I don't have to go to church every day, every meeting. No, 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 no. So much of work is there. This project is there. That project is there. And uh, I know one sister who comes to our Tuesday Bible study. She says, you know, whenever I want to come for the Tuesday Bible study, that is the time when my manager calls me. Because you don't set a precedence before. I remember I worked in uh, IIIT, which is more intense than most of your software companies. You work maybe few hours, I work 24 hours. I worked 72 hours a stretch in the lab. I don't know how many, for several days, not for one day or two days. Okay. One thing I used to tell my boss, sir, on Wednesdays, I am not here. Precedence is fixed. Period. He's not going to ask any more questions. That day, I am not there. Precedence is already there. And work, be a hard-working student and get, get some results. Prove to him that you are trustworthy. Just don't take off on Wednesdays just like that. Prove to him that you are trustworthy. So that when you leave the company, they have to miss you. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is just for free. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at what it says. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 onwards. But godliness is con- with contentment. Say that everybody. With contentment is? Oh, mega gain, Baba. You know, we have mega offers. Buy three, get four free. You know, God, what is what, what, what Paul is saying? Godliness with contentment. Mega offer. 
for we brought nothing into the world and it is certain, some of the translations say, it is certain we cannot take anything out of this world, but if we have food and clothing, not in roti kapada makan nahi baba, or keval roti kap or kapada, you know, if you go to US, roti kapada makan gadi, if you go to some other place, roti kapada makan gadi or ek gadi, ek mere liye or mere bibi ke liye. You see, lifestyles will keep on increasing, Baba, but you keep your life simple so that you can have much to give away. I remember one man of God telling, saying this, you know, if it is, he gave those days in the 19, I think 1800s or 1950s, 1960s, he gave over $500,000 for the ministry. You know what he said in his autobiography, he said, if it is possible for me to sleep for the rest of my life on the floor so that I can give more money into the mission field, I will do it. That's a choice that you have to make. But those who desire to be rich, look at that. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Have strong convictions. Say no the first time in your office. If you say no for the first time in your office, it is easy, it will be easy for you to say no the second time. If you don't say no for the first time, it will be more difficult, more difficult and more difficult even as you progress in your disobedience. You see, have strong convictions. One man of God, I, I, I think I told you several back, several weeks back, you know, there's this young man who was in his church and he goes, uh, he, is, he was on fire for God, no? He was on fire for God. Now he goes to the university and he comes back six months later into the church and he says, I don't know if I really believe anymore. And the pastor asked him, what is the name of that girl, Baba? No, he's not even answering. Why you don't believe? No, 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 no. I know why you don't believe. You already got hooked onto an appetite. Now you want to have a justification for your lifestyle. You don't want there to be a God. That is what you don't want. Convictions have gone out of the window. So young people have strong convictions. Say no the first time. If you don't say no the first time, it will be more difficult to say no the second time. And it will be easy to compromise. All young people over here, young girls and young boys, when you, when you don't know that friend of yours is not interested in the things of God, say no to him. Don't say I will sit around him and convert him. It's not gonna happen. He will convert you. That's what Jeremiah, you know, Jeremiah was getting frustrated. What? What is this Lord? You know what Jeremiah said, God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you should influence them. They should not influence you. Did you understand, children? Have strong convictions. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs or with sorrows. You want this kind of a life for yourself? Baba, say no. Say no to crowd mentality. Fight unbelief. Don't be a part of the crowd. Amen? Okay, first. How many of you are a part of the crowd today? I hope not many. Alright. Let us look at the second kind of a guy today. His name is a scribe. The problem with the scribe is this. Mark 9.14. Look at what what he says. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around him, around them. And the scribes, scribes, what is that? Disputing, questioning, reasoning. What do scribes always do? 
argue, argue, argue. I remember my dad telling me a very very interesting joke when I was growing up. He said, you know what Vijay? One American, one business. Two Americans, two business. Three Americans, paradise on earth. Okay, that's what they did, not to America. He said, one German, one scientist. Two German, two scientists. Three German, third world war. Okay. And then he said, one Indian, philosopher. Two Indian, argument. Three Indian, confusion. Okay. Why? Because we are always disputing and questioning and disputing. We know, we are one of the most argumentative generations, especially in India. What are the scribes? Those are the people who will always argue. Why should I do like this? Question, 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 question. They will never submit. And when some people who are, you know, it says in Acts chapter 4, if I'm right, it says these people are unlearned. You know, they see Peter and John, they see their boldness and they said, how come these unlearned and uh, unlearned Unskilled, yeah. Unlearned, unskilled. You know what the word uns, unlearned is? Unscribe-like. Unskilled idiots. That's what it means. That's the word idiotes in the Greek. What are the scribes? Grammatos. People who are so strict about grammar, Baba. It has to be like this. Why is it not like this? Why is it out, outside the box? They put God in a box and God has to work like this. Otherwise, he's not God. God says, if you put me in a box, I will be outside the box and you will never find me there. That's exactly what has happened to many, many, many mainland denominations and sad to say many Pentecostal denominations. They have tried to put God in a box. They thought they are the only Holy Joes. We have the power, therefore God is with us. You know what has happened? They put God in a box and God has, for long ago, has gone out of those congregations now. He's no longer there anymore. Scribes, grammatos, grammar. They have to be having grammar. That's what D.L. Moody said. Grammar, no grammar. I will hammer the word of God. See? Grammatos. Otherwise they will argue. They are not looking at the teaching. They don't have power. They don't have authority over the teaching. In the teaching, but they want to be absolutely doctrinally sound. Oh, this is not according to this doctrine. That is not according to this doctrine. Show me your life, Baba. Show me your life. Tell me what is happening in your life. Scribes. Okay, look at what it says. They are always questioning. Always. If you look at it in the gospel according to Mark, this word questioning, disputing, reasoning occurs seven or eight times. The first time it occurs, it occurs in, in a synagogue. Mark 1, verse 21 onwards. And they went into the Capernaum. And immediately, you see the word immediately again? Okay? And, and they went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Why does he say the word immediately he entered the synagogue? I don't know. Okay, what is the intention of Mark? I don't know. He says immediately on the synagogue, on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as the one who had authority and say, and not as the scribes. They have no Authority. You see, one of the hallmarks of a man of God is a man full of authority. You know why? Because he is under authority. You, you want to see a man of faith? You see a man of faith, you see a man of authority. And you see a man of authority, you'll know he's a man under authority. I cannot reiterate this enough. This is a principle which I have proved in my own life. Mm-hmm. Proved, obeying it and disobeying it. That's what I mean. Okay, it's like you know 
like, like law of gravity. I was saying, right? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. What does it mean, wrath of God? It doesn't mean that God, if you, when you disobey, he'll come and punish you. He'll not come and beat you. Oh, you disobeyed me? Come on, let me spank you. No, he doesn't do that. You know what it means? There are certain parameters. There are certain laws. There are certain boundaries. As long as you're inside those boundaries, you are safe. The moment you step outside the boundaries and outside those laws, you will be under the realm of the wrath of God. That's what it means. It's what, it's what we call the inexorable law of sowing and reaping. Whatever you sow, that's exactly what you'll reap. Okay? I have proved that in my life. So be men under authority. Be women under authority. Authority, be girls under authority. Be wives under authority and submission. Let God see and say, these are the people who are under authority. So let me give them authority. Mm-hmm. As many as have believed in him, he gave them the authority to be the children of God. The one who believe in his name. Amen. So, these are the people who are scribes who are always fighting, 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 arguing, 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 arguing. And then what happens? And he cried out. This is the (laughs) spirit. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of Israel. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him and they were astonished. They were amazed so that they, what again? Oh, they were questioning among among themselves. Questioned? What is? What is this? A new teaching with authority. What is this? Do you know what is this? Where this fellow, what is this came for the first time? Ah, we have another, scri- not a scribe, a disciple over here. Good, good. Good, Samir. What it's, look at what it says in Exodus chapter 16 verse 15. When the people of Israel saw the food coming from heaven, they said, what is this? <laughs> For they did not know what it was. You know, lot of people when they hear the word of God, I know some people who come to our church, no? Their testimony. Everything went like this. What is this? What is this? One and a half are preaching? You never said like, I remember one sister who came from the US. She was shocked. How come in this congregation, everybody is listening to pastor for one and a half hour? It never happens in our church. What is this? What is this? For they did not know what this is. Scribes don't know what is this. They can only say the grammar. They will say, this is this. If you interchange it all, God is also very grammatically right, Baba. He's very precise. But he's looking beyond that. He's looking at power. And you know what you know what Moses said to them? Look at what look at his answer. Look at his answer, my dear brothers and sisters. This is fantastic, phenomenal, mind-blowing. Okay, we are all using, preachers, we will always use hyperboles. Okay, everything is fantastic, everything is phenomenal, everything is fantastic, oh, whatever. Uh, always say like that. No, because God is like that, Baba. You know, even P- Paul used hyperboles exceedingly, abundantly, more than you, what you can ask or think. <laughs> Why did he say more than what you can ask or think? Exceedingly, abundantly, more than you can ask or even think. <sighs> you know, that is Paul. He writes at least 25 lines, one single sentence. 
And we break it down into several verses because we have to break our heads, no? Okay, so, what is this? Now what, look at the answer Moses gives. It is what? Bread. Hallelujah. It is bread. Food for your soul. Not for your mind and for your brain, no. It is not for your intellectual exercise, no, 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 no. It is for your deliverance. It is not for you to come and analyze God. No, 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 no. It is for you to come and know God. It is not for you to see what kind of a God he is and use his power. No, no, no. It is for you to know and come under his power and under his authority. That is bread. What is this? What is this? I'll tell you. It is my definition. It's the truth of the word of God, which will set you free from lies and hypocrisy and cause you to walk in freedom. That describes full of lies and hypocrisy, but no freedom in their lives. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. There's nothing wrong to be a scribe. You should be a scribe like Ezra. But Ezra enjoyed freedom. You know what he said? I will first do it and then I will teach it. I will prove God in my own life and then I will teach it to others. Teach it, teach it to others. I will not be like a professor. That is what a professor means. Professors. But doesn't do. I don't know. We give them PhDs, Baba. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. I'm including myself there. I, I all, <laughs> You know, one of the common lines I have in my class, right? If you come from uh, intermediate, you are used to spoon feeding like my dad spoon feeds all of you. When you come to university, you will struggle. You know what I tell my students? The easy questions for the professor, the tough questions for you. They are already getting a shock of their lives. You, know? you, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. What it, what it means is this. What it means is this. Gather everyday sufficient truth from the word of God that will counter the lies in this world. Because you are going into the world and you will be bombarded by lies even as you are traveling in your scooter, even as you are sitting in your cab and listening to the stupid music which is coming from the FM radio. And you can't do anything about it sometimes, right? So what should you do? Have sufficient truth inside of yourself so that you can plug in the word of God and counter the lies which is coming. So that you can counter yourself from all kinds of billboards, all kinds of nonsense which is the world is bombarding us with media. Don't be a scribe. Gather sufficient truth for yourself every day from the word of God so that you can counter the lies in the world. Counter unbelief. You know, Satan is after our faith. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked me permission to sift you as wheat and I pray that your faith should not fail you when you have been restored strengthen your brothers. What is he after? He is after your faith. He wants to devour your faith. So when he sees a scribe, he says prime candidate for unbelief and he will devour it. So don't just be a person who reads the word of God and does his devotion. Say, Lord, I want to know you. You see. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our what? Daily manna from heaven. And which will enable us to forgive others. others. And don't lead us into temptation because I know. See, you know when you you read the word of God, you'll automatically be cheerful. No, your, your wife will look so beautiful early in the morning. Once you have spent time with God. Am I right, Samir? 
Yeah, you see, both of us, we know. We resonate easily. She look, why? She, you know, what has happened to you? Did you spend time with God? Yes. You see? Matthew chapter 15, we know this, right? Syrophoenician girl. But he answered, it is not good for to take, we know this message, Pastor James preached several months back. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's what? Bread. And give it to the dogs. Little dogs. Not even dogs. Little dogs. Little dogs. You know what the little dog is? Absolutely helpless. Little dog. There was, there are several little dogs in front of our church office these days. Several little, little dogs. I hate them. They come and mess up the church office. The other day, the one of the little dogs got under the car and one of the drivers, he didn't see and he just ran over the car and he got crushed and died. Right in front of the church office. You see, that is a little dog. Helpless. You know what she says? Yes, Lord. Even the little dogs. What do they do? They eat the crumbs which come from the master's table. We need that deliverance. Lord, I'm, so when you read the word of God, read it with like, with a sense of desperation. Amen. That is how we read. Not to just casually in, stimulate our mind and our intellect. No. Okay. Oh woman, great is your faith. Let it be so as you desire. And go on. So that is the scribe. So we have scribe, scribal unbelief, the crowd unbelief. Let we, let us, let us come to the disciple unbelief. Okay. Let us look at the disciples. Now disciples, I'm not looking at the disciples which were with Jesus. I'm going to look at the disciples which were, who were not with Jesus in the mountains. I don't know why they chose not to go with Jesus. I don't know. You see? All disciples were not the same, no? Every, Jesus always had a close circle of disciples called James, John and Peter and Andrew sometimes. Andrew just pops in every now and then, okay? Okay. Peter, John, James and Andrew. He's like, he's that, he's the gap between the first circle and the second circle. He's like the bridger, bridging the gap between the first circle and the second circle, okay? So you had this closest among all the disciples, Peter, James and John. Why were the closest? Not because they were any special. They would not let go of Jesus. Wherever Jesus went, they would also go. And it's like Peter, it's very difficult to keep Peter away from Jesus. Wherever, and he would boast, you know, to the best of his knowledge, Lord, even if everybody forsakes you, I will also, I will never forsake you. You know, he's saying it to the best of his knowledge. And he means it. Give him, give him a break, okay? I mean, he failed. But we know, no, nobody said, oh, I don't want to say that, Baba. I'm he was the one who walked on water. If you are, if you are, if you are really the son of, uh, son of God, let me walk on water. Bid me come. Everybody else was shaking in the boat and this fellow walked on water. Come on. Can you imagine only two people in the entire world walked on water, not the Chinese. And now some people know what I'm talking about. I mean, you see those movies, Chinese movies, they just slip on water like that. And only two people walked on water, Baba. That is one is Jesus and the other is Peter. <laughs> Sorry, Chinese, if you are listening to this message. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Okay, then Jesus answered and said, oh woman. Okay, so be, be disciples which are close to Jesus. And there are disciples who are not very close to Jesus. And we are talking about those fellows today. Mark 9, 16 onwards. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? This is the scribes arguing with the disciples. I like this. And someone from the crowd, he doesn't say it is a father. Someone from the crowd. I love that. Matthew, Matthew will say, 
the father of a son. He, this guy says, someone from the crowd. I like that. Now here, even in this entire congregation, there is one guy who is someone from the crowd. You know, that is exactly what Jesus does. There will be a lot of people who touch me. Lord, so many people are touching you. No, 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 no. Power went out. Who is that lady who touched me? Huge crowds following. And Zacchaeus also wants to hide in the crowd. He stops. Let's, let's everybody see the chief tax collector hanging from the tree, tree like that. Can you imagine? Just, just, just imagine the chief income tax officer. I mean, I, I go this time, no, whenever I go to an income tax office, I imagine him hanging by the tree. Because he irritates me, you know. He'll ask all kinds of questions in a, after everything is over, he'll ask you for a bribe also. So I said, Lord, I just imagine hanging on a tree, this fellow. Because see, he's hanging on a tree and Jesus stops. He will not allow anybody hiding. You want to hide in the crowd, Jesus will point out if he's after you. Okay? So this guy, he himself comes from the crowd and he says, this is who I am, Lord. Look at what he says. And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher! I love that word. I love that word. In the Greek, he's the one who has the spirit of God dwelling inside of him and who teaches with authority from God. That's what it means. Not all teaching is anointed. You know that, right? Yeah? Very few teachers are anointed, Baba. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So, look at this. Teacher, I brought my son to you. Read that, everybody. Son to you. Say that, everybody. Son to, who's the you? Jesus. Fantastic. Praise God. The you is Jesus. Teacher, I brought my son to you. And whenever it sees him, it throws him down and he forms and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your, ah, Jesus, I came to you and I asked my disciples. So when anybody is being brought to his disciples, whom is he being brought to? Answer, Jesus. Do you know that? Do you know that? If anybody is bringing any problem to you in your office, you know whom is he bringing the problem to? He is bringing the problem to who? To Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing? He's, you know, he's, he's looking at all the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and everybody. He doesn't take his son to them, but he brings his son to the disciples because he knows that if he brings the son to the disciples, then they have as good as bringing him to Jesus. That is the reason why I like the Andrew ministry. You know, Andrew ministry, you know, you have a huge crowd. You come here. Let's go to Jesus. You have Barnabas who is struggling, you no? Know? Oh, Barnabas, very good, son of encouragement, come to the apostles. You have a huge Greek people who come in and they want to come come and meet Jesus. Who's the guy? Philip comes and says, oh, they want to come and meet Jesus. Oh, come, 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 let me take you to Jesus. Huge crowd. One guy in the crowd, individual, is important. That is Andrew ministry. So they bring him to you, but when I want to bring him to you, I brought you, brought, brought him to your disciples. So don't disappoint people who bring their problems to you. Don't disappoint them. Don't give them ideas from the world. I was talking to somebody from the church. I said, whenever you're listening to some ideas, know where those ideas are coming from. Where are you getting those ideas? Where are you getting it from? What is your precedence? Hmm. 
And he answered, Oh, faithless generation. But look at this. And they brought the boy to him and when the spirit saw him. You see, when the, they brought the boy to Jesus, nothing happened. Oh, sorry, to the disciples, nothing happened. The moment they brought the boy to Jesus, that immediately he recognized authority. Jesus I know. Paul I know. Who are you? Why did they not have the authority because they were unbelieving. Can you imagine the disciples who were unbelieving? How is it possible? Now think about it. No? Just few chapters in Matthew chapter 10, they have been given authority to go and drive out demons. Do you remember that? Matthew chapter 10, they all had authority there. That is the reason why they also thought they can you know, cast out demons. They all thought they had authority. And they said, in the name of Jesus, get out. Nothing is happening. Nothing is happening. So, the disciples come and ask him. Thank God they come and ask. So whenever you have issues, go and ask Jesus privately. Okay, don't call and ask pastor. Go and ask Jesus. First, Matthew chapter 17 verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately. Why could we not cast it out? So what did he say? Because of your unbelief. Assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move here to there and it will be, and it will move and nothing will be impossible. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. What is happening over here? Let me tell you what is happening. It's like, you know, children of Israel, they came into the promised land. Okay? Wall of Jericho. Six days around the wall. Seventh day, seven times. Wall came down. Mighty victory. After that, what happened? We can do it. They go to I. Nothing. 3,000 people are enough. What has happened? Suddenly overconfidence comes. That is one of the reasons why all disciples, you know, Jesus, what he did, he allowed them to fail so that they will have no confidence in them at all. What happened? What is this kind of unbelief? This kind of unbelief happens because if you are absolutely so confident in your flesh. That is the reason why Philippians chapter 3 verse 3, you know what it says? For we are the circumcision who worship God by the spirit who glory in Christ Jesus and who have no confidence in our flesh. Look at what it says. That is the reason why, you know, whenever Paul writes and thanks somebody, you know how he, how he does it? Look at it, what, what it says in Second Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. And we have where? Confidence in whom? Not in you. Okay? We have confidence in the Lord about you. Oh, I love that. Yes, you see that? We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Kya baat hai? Super, isn't it? I don't have confidence in you. First of all, it's like this, no, Vijay, I don't have confidence in you. But I have confidence in the Lord for you. Beautiful. May the Lord therefore direct your hearts to love the God, love, to the love of God and to the patience or the steadfastness of Christ. Look at again, another few, few more verses. Romans chapter 1 verse 8. First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. <laughs> Look at what he says. I don't thank you. I thank my God. 
for you through Jesus because your faith is proclaimed in the whole world. Verse chapter 6 verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed. I don't thank you for your obedience. I thank God for your obedience. You see, that is the reason why nowadays, whenever I'm thanking people, I say, I thank God for you. I thank God for your faithfulness. I thank God for your obedience. Because we can never obey in our own strength. We will always fail. That is what happened to the disciples. And you know what happens when we fail? We'll say, hey, how is it? How are these things not happening? automatically unbelief comes. This is a disciple unbelief. What is this unbelief? Confidence in the flesh. That is this unbelief. Galatians chapter 3 verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Even Jesus Christ never depended upon his flesh. You know what it says in Hebrews chapter 5? You know this was so very well. Several times pastor mentioned this, right? Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was hurt because of his godly fear. And though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So that is disciple unbelief, Baba. Where you become too confident. Overconfident. You can do it. Just do it. Paul will say, no confidence in the flesh. My confidence is in God. Okay. Disciple unbelief. Now let us go to the Father. Mark chapter 9 verse 21. And Jesus asked the Father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood. You know, there are several parents who are praying for their children from childhood. And those people are not changing. You can relate to them. Or you may be having a problem from childhood. Nothing is happening. You can relate to him. Or somebody messed up when you were a child. Messed you up. Or called you all kinds of names. Abused you physically and have removed all confidence from you. And you are so oppressed. You don't have any confidence. Whenever you want to do something new, you are always crippling with fear. I know some, some so many people, no? They, they can't do anything. They can just do. They cannot do anything even though they have brains. You know why? They are Crippled with the fear of failure. And he said to him from childhood, and it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. You know something? Devil wants to destroy us even by the time we were born. That is the reason why abortion is demonic. It is from the pits of hell. So many babies who have been aborted, who could have been potential apostles and prophets and, and scientists who could, who could find cure for diseases. I don't know. Hmm? And it has often cost him, cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if, look at this. But if you can do anything, <laughs> can you imagine going to God? God, if you can do anything, no? Okay. Can you, if you can, please, uh, have compassion and, I think about it, I'm just, God, uh, uh, please, if you can do something. I know what God says. I like it, like it in the ESV, you know? Jesus said, if I, if you can, what do you mean if you can? It is not me who's, the, who's got the problem. It is you who have the problem. All things are possible for one who believes. 
Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help thou my unbelief. I was listening to a preacher, no? He's preaching from this. See, sometimes you need to listen to obscure preachers, nobody knows. You know, everybody knows John Piper, John MacArthur, Derek Prince. There are some preachers who are faithful, nobody knows them. I just, just came across this man today in the morning, you know, and he reminded of a story from uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And the moment he said Pilgrim's Progress, my antenna was that is my book. I mean, my kind of book, not my book, my book. You know, he talks about the story of Christian and hopeful. It is not Christian and faithful. It is Christian and hopeful. Faithful dies, you know. Faithful is martyred, by the way. This is, after faithful is martyred, there's one more guy who joins Christian after seeing the faithfulness of faithful and he gets converted. And he joins Christian on his journey on the to the celestial city on the narrow way. Now, even as they are going along the narrow way, they come to a place called the Bypath Meadow. What is Bypath Meadow? You can go to the narrow way. This is so difficult. It's like the, 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 the writer says, you know, they're getting weary by this road and immediately they saw a lush green path and they said, Arey, we are so tired now. Let us take this easy path. We call it the bypath meadow. So Christian and hopeful, they say, okay, fine. Let us go about this bypath meadow. They say, okay, fine. Before we go, we'll see if there's some guy who's already going along this road. They find a guy called Mr. Wayne Confidence. Mr. Wayne Confidence is walking on along that path. They say, Ore. What did I say? What does Philippians chapter 3 verse 3 say? We are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, who glory in Christ Jesus, who have no confidence in the flesh. But there is Mr. Wayne Confidence who is absolutely walking so freely and he looks so strong, so Christian. No. It is Mr. Wayne Confidence. So this are main conference is going and they talk to main conference. What about this? Are this is a shortcut to the celestial city. You don't have to go by this path. So they take the bypath meadow. And as usual, you take the bypath meadow, they lose their track, the clouds become the the, 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 the way becomes darker and darker, and the meadow becomes more and more obscure, and they hear a voice. There is a there is a cliff right about 10 meters from them, and they hear Wayne Confidence crashing down the cliff, being Smashed into pieces and only mourning they can hear. They stop on their tracks. They are scared now. It becomes dark now. So what do they do? They go and see a small a small cave and they go and take a shelter under that cave. Both faithful, I'm sorry, uh, hopeful and Christian. They are under this cave. They say, okay, let us just, let us just uh, finish the, I mean, spend the night under this. Tomorrow morning we can go back to our path. So in the dark, they're groping, they're never, they're not able to come back to the narrow path. You know, it's easy to stray from the narrow path, but it's very difficult to come back. So what happens in the morning? They get up in the morning and they open their eyes and they see a giant called despair. Giant despair. And the giant despairs does something. They see this giant and they are so scared, he chases them to the doubting castle. Okay. Chases them to the... Can you imagine the... the this is the brilliance of, of John Bunyan, no? 
Despair is a giant, my dear brothers and sisters. That's exactly what happened to Elijah. Lord, take my life. I'm not better than my forefathers. Despair. Discouragement. You know, pastor was talking to me about this. He said, you know, Vijay, one of the things that you as leaders, pastors and leaders, and even Christians have to be very careful about is discouragement and depression. It is so easy to get into depression. You know why? You know, because you know the standards of God are so high and you'll be so tired going the narrow path and you'll always be tempted to take the shortcut. My goodness, you know, I have a one-on-one session like a guru and sisha, right? I sit under his feet and he teaches me. My God, sir, the kind of wisdom that he gets, it's, it's imparts to me. He said, Vijay, you need to be careful about this. Temptations will come for you to take the shortcut. And there is only despair after that. And what happens to that? You take a shortcut, you compromise, and you know what happens? The moment you compromise, the devil is so subtle. When he tempts you to sin, he lowers the holiness of God. And he says, okay, 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 and everybody is doing it. Take one bribe and get it done. Who will, who will see? After all, your life is at stake now. Come on, do it. After you do the crime or the sin, you know what he does? When he tempts you, he will lower the holiness of God or the standards of God's holiness. When he, when you are tempted and now when you are feeling guilty, you know what he does? He lowers the love of God. Do you think now God will love you? You fellow, after having learned so much and walked with God for so many years, have preached so many sermons, now you are such, in, you have failed God so badly, do you think God is going to love you and going to accept you? That is despair. You're there. So he, he drives him to the doubting castle and he locks them up in prison and he beats them up mercilessly. Giant despair has a wife. Madam, no faith. And you know what she says? Go and tell these fellows to kill themselves and beat them mercilessly. mercilessly. Take your lives, like just like Job's wife. Take your life and die. Curse God and die. Why are you living now? Come on! So much on despair. So these people, they get so much discouraged. And they see all those people who have lost their lives because of despair and discouragement. And then in the night, what do we do? Suddenly they remember that evangelist had given them a key. The promise. I love that. What's the promise? We'll come to that promise. Giant despair is sleeping in the morning. He wakes in the night. That is, that is the reason it's called the darkness of despair. So in the morning, these fellows take their key called promise and they unlock the doubting castle and get out of the way and go back to the narrow path. And they said, Baba, please, we made a mistake. You don't make mistakes anymore. Now let me, ta- let me ask you this question. So many of us, I believe, are going through... Uh, I'm sure... I know. Despair and doubt. Does Jesus really love me? Will I ever be successful in my life? Will I ever overcome this sin? I have failed God so many times. I have sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned. Despair. Despair and doubt. 
Jesus answered, if you believe, all things are possible. You know what he cries out? I believe, help thou my unbelief. It was a fantastic promise in Hebrews chapter 4. Beautiful promise. It's a fantastic, it's a hyperbole again, but doesn't matter. We will use that. Because it's a fantastic promise. Look at the promise. Come boldly and confidently. Why? Seeing that we have a great high priest who have passed through through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Look at this. What is this? Read this. Let. So let us read it loudly. Let us. Hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Every one of your despair and your doubt and your failure, you name it and he has faced it. Can you imagine? So a lot of people say, no, I faced rejection all my life. Nobody understands rejection like the way I was rejected. You know what? Think about Son of man, son of God, who never sinned, was rejected by his father on the cross. Do you think that he doesn't understand what rejection is? My father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you think he will not understand what what it means to be rejected? Oh, my husband has rejected me, my spouse has rejected me, my, my children have rejected me, my parents have rejected me. God understands, Jesus understands what rejection is because he was rejected by God himself, even though he was a sinless son. So he understands what exactly it means to be rejected and to go through despair. But was in all points tempted as we are and yet without sin and therefore he knows what is the power of sin. Hmm? Verse 16 now. Let us read it together. Let us. I love that. Come boldly. You know, one of the things that you will see in the book of Hebrews, the phrase coming over and over at least 12 times. Let us, let us, let us, let us, let us, let us. What it, what it tells me is this Christianity was never supposed to be walked all by yourself, all by yourself. So if you have individual Christians who are sitting in their homes and they're doing their Bible study, I'm telling you, your prime candidate to become neutralized by the devil. What, what I call them as outer electrons. They will be excluded by poly. Because we have poly's exclusion principle. Ready? All those people who know math, physics will know what I'm talking about. Okay. Let us come boldly through the throne of grace. Why? Because he was the one who went through all of it and he will understand exactly what you're going through. Hebrews chapter 10. Another let us. Let us uh, hold fast our confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us, uh, like that, like, uh, let us consider one another in order to stir up for love and good works, not forsaking, how? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another daily so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let us, let us, let us. That is the reason why when Christian loses his closest friend, faithful God gives him another friend called hopeful. You see, Christian walk is never to be walked alone. God will, it has given us a community so that we can walk together and be accountable to one another and to be able to speak to one another and stir us, stir one another up for good works. Let us hold fast this month, this evening. 
battle unbelief by crying out, Lord, help my unbelief. Battle unbelief by crying out, Lord, help my doubt is good. But don't stay there for long. And let not giant despair just lock you up. Use the promise and unlock mercy and lock forgiveness. And unlock the grace to overcome every sin. Shall we all stand this, this evening in the presence of the Lord? Fight unbelief together. We are all in the battle against unbelief and pride. Got it? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, one prayer. Help our unbelief. Father, you know what your children are going through in this church and all around the world. Some of them going through the trial of their lives and I don't even understand what they are going through. And they have been locked by the giant despair for several years unable to move. Father, open their eyes to the promise of the word of God. You said in your word, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to cleanse you from all your sin and from all your unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from all our unrighteousness. Oh, Father, enable us to believe. Enable us not to exalt any of our circumstances and our thoughts and our ideas about the word of God. Enable us to exalt your word above your name because you have tied yourself, your name together with your with your word, O oh Lord. And you will never bend it for any one of us and not even for your own son, you did it. Help us our unbelief. Father, we want to be able to say like Peter, I have learned how to abound. I have learned how to be abased. I have learned in all things to be content in whatever situation I am. And all things, I can do all things through Christ who can strengthen me. We can do all things. Not because we have confidence in our own self. Because our confidence is in you, O Lord. And this evening, O Lord, Father. Father, let, let faith arise in the hearts of your people. Bring us back to that straight and narrow path. To that end, I pray that you would anoint the speaking and the hearing of this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.